0: Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network.
1: Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thanks so much for joining us here today for another episode of Agriculture of America AOA. Great to have you along for the conversation. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Coming up here on today's program, we're going to talk markets in just a second with Mike Zuzalo from Global Commodity Analytics. How are things shaping up ahead of the November WASDE report? And we also have some China inflationary data to go through and more. We're going to get to Mike in just a second. Coming up in segment two, we're going to have a conversation with Jeff Cooper from the Renewable Fuels Association, their president and CEO, as we discuss Veterans Day, which is coming up on Friday, and some of the opportunities for veterans in the ethanol industry. And then in segment three, we're going to have a conversation with Ernie Goss from Creighton University, talking about the most recent Mid-American Economy Barometer and Mid-American Index. and. Get his thoughts on the overall state of the rural economy. So that is coming up in segment three today. And I'll have a look at some of the latest news headlines later in the program as well. So a lot to get to here on AOA today. Brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. All right, well, let's take a look at what's going on in the market trade here as we examine things ahead of the November World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report on Thursday. Mike Zuzalo, Global Commodity Analytics, joining us here today on AOA. Mike, great to have you back on the show and uh, looking at this market trade, fairly quiet, which is, you know, that's not atypical ahead of a WASDE report.
2: Yeah, I had a lot of uh, excitement before the report numbers came out with yesterday's trade, Jesse. A lot going on, obviously, still in... And without the crude oil helping us, and uh, that's pretty important uh, as we go forward, I think. But, you know, more in the near term related to the report, probably the biggest thing that I'm watching is what kind of numbers do we get in relation to allowing um, the Chinese demand to continue to come to us instead of Brazil? And I think that's what we're seeing right now. I don't think China's buying extra both from us and Brazil. I think they're having to choose Uh, to move away from Brazil due to weather. Um, But how much legs does that have? And, and even, you know, probably maybe more specifically with us sending stocks numbers, will they be tight enough that the South American weather is going to matter all the way into Thanksgiving and Christmas, if it stays the way it is. And, and especially with the corn, since we haven't really seen that weather market develop yet in the corn, the trades pretty much picked the beans on the weather side and, and left the corn essentially alone at this point.
1: Well, you raised a the point there about uh, China possibly bringing more business to the U.S. for soybeans, and you alluded to Wednesday's trade action, and it's a great point uh, that I think trying to make sense because we saw soybeans sharply higher for most of Wednesday, and then they fell apart late in the day. And it looked like we we bumped up against some overhead resistance, and then that was kind of the point we fell apart. But to your point, about China maybe shifting some cargoes from Brazil to the U.S. That seems to be about the the main reason I saw for the soy market to kind of fall apart on Wednesday.
2: Yeah, I mean, the big thing that we got to realize, I think, is, is number one, the, the weather is not just disrupting the planting and causing some replanting in the south, but with about 20 inches of rain over the last 30 days, right in the heart of the areas where the port of Paranagua is, the main shipping lane to get beans out of Brazil and over to China, I think we're seeing vessels shift and shifting towards the United States. And USDA came out with weekly export sales this morning. They weren't a surprise, a little over a million metric tons, but then they threw out a flash sale of 1.7 million metric tons. That ends up being about 63 million bushels, which ends up being about 28% of the U.S. carryover in last month's report. It ends up being, by my calculation, 27 to 30 vessels. And so I, I think this is the issue when it comes to the Chinese and southern Brazil, coupled with the fact and, and probably adding to the upside potential after the report without any bearish surprises, if the dollar continues to weaken against the Brazilian currency, which it uh, I think was at a six-week low as we went on the air against the Brazilian real.
1: Should be very interesting to watch. I know you keep a close eye on the wheat market as well, both here in the U.S. but also uh, abroad, the EU wheat specifically. A little more pressure in the wheat markets ahead of the WASDI report, but uh, we've tried to, it seems like, bounce off of some lows in U.S. wheat here in recent days. What's your take of this overall wheat market picture right now, Mike?
2: Yeah, you know, this is a big question and I'm glad you raised it because we're looking for that corn harvest low, but we know Eastern Corn Belt yields, Indiana and, and Ohio um, are really pumping up the volume in northern Illinois areas that are still harvesting are really coming in with some terrific corn yields. Basis is reacting that. So if we want a corn harvest low in the midst of that situation, we really need to have a major trend low in the wheat. We may have the makings of that because of our competitors out there. We could shave uh, the USDA ag shade just came out 24 hours ago and took the crop down to 106 versus USDA's 113.5 million tons. So 7.5 million tons in India, 3 million tons in Argentina is on the block, and Australia is the wild card. So average trade guess for world wheat ending stocks is just under 258 million metric tons. I'm at about 255. I'd love it to go below my number. And that way, show the wheat maybe has made a low and set an overall tone for the whole commodities when it comes to the grain sector.
1: Mike, I want to ask you about the uh, cattle trade too here. When well, we got a couple minutes yet, uh, this cattle market's been under some pressure, kind of moving lower. What's your thoughts currently as you take a look at both fats and feeders right now?
2: You know, the weekly export sales for beef and pork were surprisingly good. China was the number five buyer for the beef. We're 24% above the four-week average. And, and it gives us some daylight to hold these major critical lows that are drawn off the, the long term monthly charts, Jesse. But I think you got to do it this week, I believe, because otherwise the funds are probably going to press this market more. I still think we're essentially in a 2014-2015 model year where you're seeing a lot of imports now coming up uh, roughly 40% year over year from Australia coming in to the United States based upon some of the latest Australia data.
1: Well, Mike, before we let you go, any final thoughts, risk management thoughts here as folks are going to watch the uh, WASDE numbers and more as we get to the end of the week?
2: Yeah, I still think the Middle East is an issue. I still think Russia, Ukraine is an issue. And how am I going to deal with that with my marketing? I'm going to do the sell and defend model where you sell, hopefully for profit, like in cattle or for soybeans, and then defend those sales for the next 60, 75 days, especially if this report doesn't feed the bear.
1: Well, fantastic. Mike, uh, where could folks uh, find you, contact you if they have questions? I know uh, they can get a hold of you online. How can they reach you?
2: Globalcomresearch.com is the best way to go to find out our product services and sign up for a free trial. Otherwise, call me at 866-471-2588 after the market closes. Be happy to talk to you.
1: Globalcom with two Ms. Research.com is where you can find Mike Zuzalo with Global Commodity Analytics. Mike, always a pleasure. Thanks for joining us here on AOA today and uh, giving us some thoughts in this market trade. And we will talk to you again real soon. Thanks so much.
2: Thanks so much for having me, Jesse.
1: Mike Zuzalo there with Global Commodity Analytics. All right, coming up next here on AOA, we are gonna have a conversation with the president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper with Veterans Day here on Upon Us. We wanna talk about some of the uh, attractive opportunities for veterans in the ag and ethanol industry. That conversation is coming up after the break here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, a diesel that doesn't mess around. Back with more right after this. Turning to biologicals for improved plant nutrition and nitrogen fixing may feel novel to a lot of farmers, but it's a proven method for decades. Nobody knows this better than TerraMax, a leading innovator of biological inoculants for more than 25 years. Their strong roots in microbial technology means they know what it takes to deliver stronger roots for crops acre after acre. When you decide to boost your yield with biologicals, turn to TerraMax. Then visit TerraMaxAg.com to learn more. On the November episode of the Monthly Grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we discussed the importance of export markets, MAP and FMD funding, and more with Janice Hiley, who serves on NCGA's Market Development Action Team and the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, along with NCGA Trade Policy Director Nancy Martinez.
3: Think about this. Funding for these two programs has not been increased in almost 20 years. And you might say, well, what do these programs do, Janice? It's all about those relationships we have with countries that we for too, the support comes from these type of programs in 2020 the economic output
4: produced by ag exports was over 300 billion and as janice was saying how crucial map and smd are they actually are very effective federal investment programs so the return on investment is over 24 to 1
1: join us the first wednesday of every month for the monthly grind a partnership with the national corn growers association on aoa it's a show you don't want to miss
4: this is Ernie Johnson Jr.
0: Sports is about overcoming obstacles, and college coaches work hard to help young men overcome Duchenne muscular dystrophy. It's called Coach to Cure MD, and you can help. Text the word Cure to 501 501 to donate $25 on your next mobile phone bill, or go online to CoachToCureMD.org. Text the word Cure to 501 501. Help coaches cure MD. Brought to you by the American Football Coaches Association.
5: In Iraq, our truck hit a roadside bomb, I had about 16 surgeries on my hand so that I could regain function. And when I came home, I needed a new roof due to a storm and my electrical was deemed unsafe and I was about to lose homeowner's insurance as well. I didn't really know where to go in order to get help. And so I applied for Operation Homefront Critical Financial Assistance Program. They've really been a blessing. Operation Homefront is the safety net. A lot of veterans, they fall through the cracks sometimes, and Operation Homefront, they catch us. It's been a blessing to us. It's a blessing to other veteran families, and it's good to know that when we come home, there are people who are there that care about us and wanna see us do well and wanna see us succeed, and we feel it and we appreciate that. I would say you guys are angels behind closed doors. Visit OperationHomeFront.org to learn more.
2: Informing
1: America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Well, Veterans Day coming up this weekend. Many folks going to observe Veterans Day on Friday, and we want to have a conversation about some of the opportunities for vets in ag and the ethanol industry here today on AOA. Welcome back to the show, AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Joining us right now for that conversation, he is an Army vet himself our friend, president and CEO of the Renewable Fuels Association, Jeff Cooper. Jeff, it's great to have you on the show. Hope you're doing well.
6: I'm doing great, Jesse. Good morning and thanks for having me.
1: So let's talk about this a little bit as we think about uh, with Veterans Day coming up upon us here and just some of the attractive opportunities for veterans to get involved in, and have a career, not only in the ag industry, but the ethanol industry as well. If, if I have seen this right the percentage of ethanol industry workers who are vets is it triple the national workforce jeff
6: yeah that that's right jesse and and this is a, a timely conversation because actually today we are launching a new initiative called veterans for renewable fuels and really the purpose of that effort is to to really recognize and celebrate all the contributions that our, our military veterans uh, are making in the ethanol industry, and you're right, about 15% of the ethanol industry workforce is veterans, and that's according to the Department of Energy. They do a survey every year, and, and uh, last year that came back and said basically one out of every six or seven workers in our industry is a veteran. That is, That is triple the national average across all industry sectors, and it's about double. Uh, if you just look at Various segments of the energy industry were about uh, double the the average there. So, you know, as we have looked at those numbers and and kind of asked ourselves, why is that, uh, we've talked to a lot of veterans in in our industry, and and really what it boils down to is when they're leaving the service uh, and they're looking for jobs, and I can speak to this personally, this was me 20 years ago, Um, I wanted to find a job that, that was about more than just a paycheck. I wanted to find something that was rewarding, I wanted to join a a team that was focused on a common mission. Uh, I wanted my work to have meaning and and continue Mm -hmm. using the leadership skills that I was taught in the military. And and the ethanol industry really allows veterans to do that. And I think that's why you see so many vets uh, finding a home in the ethanol industry.
1: Well, and I'm glad we're talking about this here today, Jeff, because... You know, I think about a lot of times we talk about the ethanol and biofuel industry here on the show. We're we're talking about just the the overall benefits of ethanol and Mm -hmm. biofuels or we're talking about issues uh, that we're fighting on Capitol Hill or more. But just talking about the overall structure and the overall job retention and just the, the overall industry and some of these benefits uh, that are out there for folks to be part of this industry and veterans of course i, I think this is really okay. a great thing to kind of highlight here just the uh, all the great things that are available with jobs throughout the ethanol industry yeah.
6: well and, and jesse that's another thing we we found is is you know, uh, another reason for why we have so many veterans in, in the industry is a, a lot of veterans uh, come from rural areas. A lot of people who serve their 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 country in yeah. uniform come from rural communities, small towns, and it's hugely disproportionate. And I have seen stats on that. I don't remember exactly where that what they what they were, but I think it's something like two to one. Of uh, uh, people who serve, come from rural communities. Um, and so, again, I think as those folks are leaving the service and, and they want to return home to that small town way of life in those rural communities, they want to find a good job. And and the ethanol industry has offered good paying jobs, professional jobs, um, you know, technical uh, jobs that require a lot of the same skills they learned in the military, and that allows these folks to move back home or to communities, the places where they want to uh, start a, a family perhaps and, and, and raise a family. Um, and continue uh, a tradition and a way of life that they were used to growing up. And I, I, so, I think that is another factor here. And really, the industry has allowed that to, to happen. We've seen, uh, you know, many veterans return home uh, to their local communities and go right to work at a, at a biofuel facility, whether it's ethanol or biodiesel. And then they tend to stick stick with those those companies. Um, we've got a couple uh, veterans on our board of directors uh, that have been in the industry for thirty plus years. Um, you know, one of them came out of the Marine Corps and went right to work uh, in the ethanol industry. He's, he's moved around a little bit, but uh, found a home in the industry and, and has stayed. Uh, and then got another guy who's a, a Black Hawk pilot uh, in the Army. And, and when he came out, he went to work uh, for an ethanol facility in Nebraska, and, and is happy as uh, happy as a clam doing that. So I, I, I think uh you know it, it it is there's lots of overlap and lots of reasons that our industry is so attractive to veterans but that kind of rural uh the rural roots and and kind of small town roots is one of those factors
1: i would say hearing you talk about this jeff it, it almost feels like it's a it's an opportunity to continue to be part of a team and and be part of fueling yep. not only the us but the world in a way it, it's it's an opportunity to continue to be part of something like that in in rural america or wherever they may land is is that a good way to maybe sum it up jeff
6: oh that's a that's a perfect way to sum it up and and again I, i think a lot of veterans you ask them why why did you end up in the ethanol industry after you left the service a lot of them will say again because it allows allows them to continue honoring a commitment they made to to make our country stronger make our country more independent, this is a tangible way that they can contribute to that. Um, And veterans take great pride in knowing that they're working in an industry day in and day out that is improving energy security, it's improving the livelihoods of of their fellow Americans, it's improving our economic vitality, uh, and it's improving environmental quality. So again, Mm -hmm. I think it's just uh, the the values that uh, folks come out of the military with align very well with the values of our industry.
1: Well, and again, you guys are launching Veterans for Renewable Fuels here today. And Jeff, I know you guys have a lot of resources available. You've launched with this campaign online to ethanolrfa.org forward slash veterans. That's a place where folks can go for a lot more information, can't they?
6: That's right. Yeah, we just launched all that today, and, and we've got a big kickoff event in conjunction with our National Ethanol Conference in February out in san diego so we are uh very excited about that and and looking forward to rolling this out
1: we're talking today with jeff cooper president and ceo of the renewable fuels association jeff i should ask you while i have you here too i know we've seen some recent moves on legislation for sustainable aviation fuel as well as uh talks uh, and uh, reintroductions of the adopt greet legislation on capitol hill uh, any comments uh, on some of those things and, and where all that stands right now, Jeff?
6: Well, really, it all boils down to we we are continuing to to do everything we can to create uh, really the glide path for the development of sustainable aviation fuels and and ensure that crop based biofuels like ethanol um, have every opportunity to to fairly compete um, if for you know for that marketplace, uh, and a lot of that boils down to what. Modeling tools and accounting tools are going to be used by the IRS as they determine tax credit eligibility and and what, you know, how is EPA going to be analyzing all these things. Uh, Those questions are very important. So we've been working with our friends on Capitol Hill uh, to make sure that uh, those agencies are getting a little more guidance and clarity uh, around exactly how, you know, how, how to take these next steps that are going to be so impactful for the development of sustainable aviation fuels.
1: Now, a lot of opportunity out there much like you know we were talking for veterans to have opportunities in the ethanol industry a lot of opportunity out there for the ethanol industry to grow with sustainable aviation fuel Jeff I, we've talked about this many many times but it just feels like this is the the next chance for a sort of boom in the industry
6: yeah absolutely the the aviation fuel market is is quite large and is growing Um, And we think, you know, within the next 10 years, the demand for aviation fuel, jet fuel, basically, is going to be in the 28 to 30 billion gallon ballpark. And if ethanol-based sustainable aviation fuel was to account for even half of that, uh, now we're talking about doubling uh, the current market for ethanol here domestically. We use about 15 billion, 14 billion gallons every year in gasoline uh, and would need that same volume at least uh, to, to you know, cover half of the demand for aviation fuel in the, in the decades ahead. So it is, just from a market potential standpoint, it is an enormous opportunity, and that's why we're spending so much time on the front end making sure we get it right. I mean, it's, we're, we're years away from huge volumes of sustainable aviation fuel, uh, but those volumes are only going to materialize if the policy and regulation is set up to allow for it.
1: Well, again, uh, thanks for the thoughts and updates on that side of the equation. And of course, for talking to us about Veterans for Renewable Fuels here today, and folks can learn more, ethanolrfa.org forward slash veterans. And of course, we recognize and thank all of our veterans past and present, including Jeff Cooper with the Renewable Fuels Association. Jeff, thanks so much. We'll talk to you again soon.
6: It sounds good, Jesse. Thanks for having
1: me. All right. Coming up next here on AOA, brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. We'll talk with Ernie Goss from Creighton University about the latest Mid-American Economy Index. That's next here on AOA. Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter-specific peer groups, full-service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit UncommonFarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future.
7: You're listening day away for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. Grains and oil seeds are mostly lower today, save for the bean oil. Wheat prices are giving back what they gained yesterday. A surge of buying lifted wheat prices yesterday after a rumor hit the market of a Russian missile hitting a civilian ship in the Black Sea. Now, Chicago wheat prices were already challenging the 50-day moving average, making speculative traders holding large positions a bit nervous. The rumor created added momentum for exiting short positions, despite overall ongoing weak demand amid large supplies of cheap wheat coming out of the Black Sea. Now, confirmation eventually came in that it was an anti-radar missile that struck the superstructure of a Liberian-flagged iron ore carrier while entering one of the ports at Odessa. Now, the ship was intended to haul iron ore from Ukraine to China. This was the 21st attack on Ukraine port facilities since Russia pulled out of the Black Sea Grain Initiative. That has resulted in damage to 160 infrastructure facilities and 122 vehicles. Prices have pulled back today, though, from yesterday, as the market digests the events of the day. There is little evidence that the ship was a target of the missile, but rather it appears to have been an errant hit by the missile intended for a different target. That is highlighting the risk that shippers must consider when doing business with Ukraine and that their ships and crews are at most risk during the time that they are in port in Ukraine. Now, Ukraine will likely keep its grain prices cheap enough to keep shippers coming unless we see enough frequency of these incidences to make them wary of doing business. We also saw China make a few more purchases yesterday, leaving this week's purchases so far at more than 40 cargoes, which is far above the typical 25 to 30 cargoes per week pace. The VIX is trading near 14 this morning. That's marking another seven-week low for Wall Street's fear indicator. Yields on 10-year treasuries are at 4.53%, while yields on two-year treasuries are at 4.95%. And crude oil prices are a bit over 1% higher today on a technical bounce after falling to fresh 16-week lows yesterday. You're listening to away for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet.
3: I'm Shanola Hampton. Every day, millions of people face hunger. Today, I will share with you some of their experiences. I'm stuck between paying for medications or paying for food. John from Maine. After paying my bills, I can buy groceries. It's sad to say, food comes last. Alice from Oregon. I thought pantries were for less fortunate people, but anybody could be less fortunate in a day or even a second. Claire from Virginia. The Feeding America network of food banks helps provide over six billion meals to people in need each year. No one should have to worry where their next meal will come from. Together, we can end hunger. Learn more at feedingamerica.org.
8: Keeping
0: America's
1: farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And thanks for staying with us here on AOA, agriculture of America brought to you by Cenex premium diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Find your nearest Cenex location around the corner, or you can find it easily online at senex.com. Everyday products powered locally by Cenex. Great conversation there in the last segment with Jeff Cooper from the Renewable Fuels Association talking about job opportunities for veterans in the ag and ethanol industry. And right now we want to talk about the uh, current rural economic outlook and jobs and much more. Joining us to discuss the latest Mid-America Manufacturing Index and more. Dr. Ernie Goss with Creighton University is joining us here today on AOA. And uh, Dr. Goss, thanks so much for joining us on the program. I hope you're doing well.
9: Good to be with you, Jesse, and thanks for having me on.
1: Well, let's dive in and talk about this. And for a second straight month, I know the uh, Mid-America Business Conditions Index and the Manufacturing Index and more, uh, this is a leading economic indicator for the Midwest. We saw that for the second straight month, it was above the 50 growth neutral threshold for October. Can you just give us kind of the quick overview first of what we found in this month's report?
9: Well, Jesse, we do two surveys here at Creighton University. One is manufacturing, which you just pointed to, and it's slightly above growth neutral, much like the U.S. manufacturing sector, It's uh, weakened significantly over the last year. But now we do another survey of rural bankers, bankers in rural areas of 10 states. Now that survey shows an economic index that's well below growth neutral as the agricultural sector has weakened, uh, I won't say significantly, but weakened somewhat. And the bankers are reporting on that. Again, uh, these are bankers in rural areas of 10 states right down the midsection of the country.
1: Well, let's talk about this a little bit more. Let's start, let's go to that ag, uh, the rural banker side and talking about the ag economy as a whole. And I've heard a lot of the same, a lot of uh, concern out in rural America as the ag economy has weakened a bit with all the inflationary pressures that have been out there in the broader economy and more. What are some of the big keys you're hearing from rural bankers right now?
9: Well, they're certainly concerned about what's going on with farm income, with agricultural commodity prices uh, weakened. I won't say significantly, but they've weakened, and that's the number one challenge that the bankers identified for the farm sector, and also, of course, farm equipment sales with higher interest rates, that's pulling down agricultural equipment sales for four of the last five months, and of course, we've got weather, and that's always an issue, of course, good and bad, and of course, what's happened there is the Mississippi River is down fairly dramatically, and of course, that's hurting grain sales to the global economy. And we're seeing that being telegraphed back to this part of the country.
1: And, you know, a lot of talk, uh, all points that I have heard in conversations with with farmers and ranchers as well. And, and, you know, we're coming off of a a few years here where farmers were able to uh, possibly put a little bit of money into the bank, but now with the high interest rate environment you mentioned and more. It seems like maybe maybe farmers are having to look at things a little bit closer, and I, I have to think some of those conversations this fall with their banker are, are going to be some tough conversations.
9: They are, they are, uh, Jesse, and we've seen we ask about tightening credit standards, and a little a little more than one fourth of bankers report tightening credit standards. But even with that, as you said, the farmer entered this, I won't say an economic downturn; it's just weaker economics. Uh, the, with farmers in pretty good condition with pretty good cash balances but of course now they with these higher interest rates they've begun that's ha- cutting into their willingness to buy agricultural equipment and that spills over into the, what we call the rural main street economy and the, again tw- uh, well I shouldn't say again 22 percent of the bankers identified these higher interest rates having the impact now the higher interest rates also affect the value of the dollar the value of the dollar is. Is been held up and it's expanded. And that makes our agricultural goods less competitive, competitively priced abroad and also manufactured goods as well.
1: Uh, talk to me a little more about the, the manufacturing index and some of the things you found there for the month of October and some of those other uh, jobs in the rural economy outside of agriculture. What are some of the things you found on that side?
9: Well, on the manufacturing side it's just it's 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 held up reasonably well and that's what we're hearing across the board manufacturing sector has lost jobs uh, over the last several months and we've seen at the national level we're seeing at the regional level again right down the middle mid section of the country and also despite that despite that finding and hiring qualified workers remains a big issue in other words these rural areas Many of the rural areas have an issue with finding and hiring those workers. It's not as much of a of a wor- workers out there for them to recruit and hire and retain. So that's an issue as well. And the manufacturers being hurt by the higher higher value of the dollar, as I said, but also the what this is, the higher interest rate environment is really makes it difficult for them more difficult for them to expand
1: we are having a conversation today with dr ernie goss from creighton university and dr goss thinking about the higher dollar higher inflation uh, pressures and higher interest rates etc i know a lot of folks across the country are are concerned they're looking at their pocketbooks credit card debt is at all-time levels here and there's there's a lot of worry about the fed's policy right now and how it's impacting folks as they're trying to stretch the uh, stretch their incomes as far as they can here at home especially entering the holiday season what what's your take just broadly on, on where the overall health of our u.s economy stands right now
9: well it's a lot to do with credit jesse in other words the cost of credit and we're looking at holiday buying and christmas buying season it's going to be up, but not as much as inflation, not to account for inflation. So we're going to see holiday buying up 3 to 4%. Of course, most of that's inflation. So we're entering the 2024 in the farm sector. Not, It's going to be down, and USDA is expecting farm income to be down for 2024 versus 2023. And, of course, the manufacturing sector, as I said, is weakened. So we're entering 2024 with a rising likelihood of a recession. Now, at this point, if there is a recession, it'll be a mild recession. So no need to, no need to get too concerned, but no need to get too docile either.
1: Well, and that's a a great point you raise is I I know earlier this year, we heard a lot of talk about the Fed having to try and find a soft landing, so to speak, for uh, the economy and try to minimize the impacts of recession. And it, it seems like they, they have done that to an extent here, Dr. Goss.
9: They have, but I think it's going to get a bumpy now. That's We've all been in those planes that landed a rough landing. This is going to be a little more bumpy than the Fed intended. and And with credit, with the real estate sector, that's where we're seeing some issues there. Real estate, banking, and finance, and manufacturing to a lesser extent. But those are the sectors one could argue they're in. I won't call it recessionary conditions, certainly in commercial real estate, we're there already. Manufacturing, we're almost there. And and the farm sector, not there yet, but moving lower for farming as well.
1: Well, and uh, for any farmers and ranchers who are listening in and, and thinking about just the health of their operation and looking at the health of the ag economy and more what would you say to them as they're looking at end-of-the-year books and more? What do they need to keep in mind from an economic standpoint here, Dr. Goss?
9: Well, I think we have to look at the global economy. If there's one thing about the ag sector, it's it's globally, globally dependent. And what happens in China and what's well, not happening in China, China's weakened, of course. And now we're seeing in the U.S., we have Massachusetts and California enacting laws that are rippled back toward the, toward the midsection of the country in terms of for example the space allocated for hogs now that I the federal, Reserve's, not federal reserve the supreme Court ruled on that as being not an impediment to interstate rural commerce I think it is but I'm not a supreme court justice and now Massachusetts is jumping on board that ripples back here and increases the cost of farmers and that's an issue as well Regula- the regulatory environment in Washington and other states is not all that friendly to the agriculture right now.
1: No, it is. Uh, it has definitely got its challenges, and you uh, raised some valid points there. And uh, again, uh, all the great work you guys do, uh, keeping tabs on the economy at Creighton University. Uh, Dr. Goss, before we let you go, any other final thoughts uh, you would share with us here today on AOA? Well,
9: you know, Jesse, there's one thing. we're We're in the best part of the best nation on the face of the earth it will be good agriculture looking forward is the place to be long-term outlook is great it's just short to intermediate term it's going to be a little more painful than what we've seen in the past few years
1: well, we do appreciate the time, and we will have to uh, stay in touch with you and get you back on the program again in the future to discuss what is going on with the rural economy. With that, Dr. Erte Goss from Creighton University. Thanks so much for joining us on Agriculture of America today. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon.
9: Thank you, Jess. Good to be with you.
1: And again, Dr. Erte Goss there with Creighton University. A lot of work they do uh, there at uh, Creighton with uh, looking at the rural economy, all the different surveys that they keep uh, publishing and keep tabs on. Just uh, great thoughts there. Good reminders from Dr. Ertigas here today on AOA. All right, uh, coming up here next, before we run out of time on today's show, the USDA they have uh, come out with some new rules here this week, uh, making some rule changes that are designed to, as they say, level the playing field in agriculture. We're going to have comments on that from Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack and look at other news headlines coming up next here on AOA, brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, everyday products powered locally by Senex. Back with more right after this.
5: born of intention, fueled by commitment. It's seeing things through, always showing up. And we know a thing or two about promises here at Susan G. Komen. Over 40 years ago, we locked arms with you toward one vision, a world without breast cancer. By investing in life-saving research and standing up for patient rights, we are shifting the system so all people everywhere get the care they deserve. Because if you've just been diagnosed and don't know where to turn, we've got you. If you can't afford the treatment you need, we've got you. And if you are driven to raise money to honor the best friend you've just lost, we have a place for you here because of you. We're supporting those who need help today while tirelessly searching for tomorrow's cures. Ending breast cancer needs all of us. Visit Komen.org and be a part of the Susan G. Komen community today.
0: As veterans, we're no strangers to helping others.
5: It's what we were taught, trained, and told to do.
0: It could be for anything. Helping a friend move. Listening to a fellow veteran for hours, at any hour of the day.
5: Or just simply making time for people. A neighbor, a loved one, or even a stranger.
0: We're often the first to help others. There's no question about it. But we do have one question for the veterans listening. When was the last time you reached out for help?
5: Perhaps it's time to do for yourself what you would do for others.
0: If you or someone you know needs resources, whether it's for stress, finances, employment, or mental health, don't wait. Reach out. Find more information at va.gov reach. That's va.gov
1: reach.
5: Brought to you by the United States Department of Veterans Affairs and the Ad Council.
1: On the November episode of the monthly grind with the National Corn Growers Association, we discussed the importance of export markets, MAP and FMD funding and more with Janice Hiley, who serves on NCGA's Market Development Action Team and the Indiana Corn Marketing Council, along with NCGA Trade Policy Director, Nancy Martinez.
3: Think about this, funding for these two programs has not been increased in almost 20 years. And you might say, well, what these programs do, Janice? It's all about those relationships we have with countries that we export to. The support comes from these type of programs. In 2020, the economic output
4: produced by ag exports was over 300 billion. And as Janice was saying how crucial MAP and SND are, they actually are very effective federal investment programs. So the return on investment is over 24 to one.
1: Join us the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind, a partnership with the National Corn Growers Association on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Are you curious about biologicals for stronger crop health? You're not alone. At TerraMax, they've seen more farmers just like you choosing to apply biologicals with increasing success. For more than 25 years, they've been harnessing the power of microbial inoculants to strengthen roots, improve soil health, and boost yields acre after acre. If you're ready to get a biological boost, turn to the experts at TerraMax. Visit TerraMaxAg.com to learn more about what microbial technology can do for your farm. Take control of your legacy with Uncommon Farms. Their ag business professionals can help your farm take on challenges in the five key areas of financials, human resources, strategic planning, management, and succession planning. From their nine subject matter-specific peer groups, full-service accounting offerings, crop insurance experts, and more, Uncommon Farms is the resource your farm needs to succeed into the future. Visit UncommonFarms.com today to learn more about their service and software offerings that will propel your farm into the future.
0: Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA.
1: Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA. Agriculture of America brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. A lot of great conversations here on the program today. Mike Zuzalo with markets uh, at the top of the show. Jeff Cooper for the Renewable Fuels Association talking Veterans Day and more. Ernie Goss in that last segment from Creighton University talking about the health, uh, overall health of the Midwest economy. A lot of great information here on the program today. Let's take a look at some news headlines. We got more things to cover here before we run out of time. And for many years. Poultry growers have expressed concerns about whether the contracting and tournament system is transparent and fair. While Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack says the Packers and Stockyards Act was put in place to ensure fair competition and practices and contract relationships between integrators and growers. He says USDA is announcing several rule changes to ensure fairness in those relationships.
4: Today, we're announcing the finalization of the first of a number of rules designed to strengthen the Packers and Stockyards Act efforts at providing transparency and fairness. We are prepared to file the final rule entitled Transparency in Poultry Grower Contracting and Tournaments. Now, this rule is really directed at live poultry dealers, and that's a technical term for poultry process integrators. And it's designed to direct them to provide to growers critical information about contracts to the chicken grower community with whom they are contracting and with whom they are asking birds to be raised.
1: And he talks about how the rule encourages transparency between contractors and producers in multiple ways.
4: At the crux of this rule is the requirement of integrators to provide a live poultry dealer disclosure document. This document is designed to provide and to outline a realistic set of outcomes that growers can expect before they make an important contracting decision or before they make key capital investment decisions. It asks for information such as the earnings by Quintel that growers could expect, a minimum flock placements, variable costs that may be incurred during the course of the contract, how the integrator will exercise discretion in relationship to sick flocks or natural disasters.
1: Well, USDA and the White House are taking other steps to level the playing field in agriculture.
4: We're sending a letter to major seed companies reiterating the obligation that they have to comply with the federal Seed Act transparency requirements for seed that's being shipped in interstate commerce. The second thing we're doing is to clarify an issue relating to food products that are purchased by USDA. As you all may know, there is a requirement when we purchase food for food banks or for the school lunch program that the food that we're purchasing must be of a domestic origin. We want to make sure that that it is clear that when we talk about domestic origin, we're talking about beef pork, lamb, and bison that is born, raised, and slaughtered in the U.S. And finally, we're beginning the process that will lead to the appointment of a chief competition officer at USDA.
1: And once again, that is Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. Well, Bayer confirmed in an investor call on Wednesday the company's considering splitting business units following poor financial results. According to Bayer CEO Bill Anderson, quote, we are redesigning Bayer to focus only on what's essential for our mission and getting rid of everything else, end quote. Now, Anderson, who's been at the company's helm since June, says by the end of next year, Bayer will remove multiple layers of management and coordination. The company ruled out splitting into three divisions, but other options remain. Anderson added, quote, in terms of structural options, beyond maintaining three divisions, a separation of either consumer health or crop science remains under evaluation, end quote. Now, sales in the agricultural business for Bayer were level year on year at 4.3 billion euros, Higher volumes in all regions were mostly offset by lower prices for glyphosate-based products. Corn seed and trade sales rose by 21.2%, while fungicides were up 16.2%. The soybean seed and trades business likewise posted double-digit percentage growth of 15.6%. Now, By contrast, sales at herbicides were down by 17.3%. Well, Nutrien this week released Bridging the Agricultural Perception Divide, a research study on the perception gaps between farmers and consumers in North America on issues such as sustainability, technology, and land usage. Now, the report also indicates there is some common ground and opportunities for bridge building. The findings revealed that the largest perception gaps between farmers and consumers are related to environmental stewardship and industry advancement. For example, farmers were significantly more likely to agree with statements related to the responsible use of crop inputs, chemical use, environmental progress, farming careers, and soil quality. However, topics related to societal support for farmers reveal much closer agreement. The study also finds that younger consumers have the lowest interest and trust in agriculture. When farmers were asked about the top issues affecting the agriculture industry today, their responses included the rising cost of growing food, followed by a desire for consumers to have more knowledge about the industry and concerns about misinformation about where food comes from. And also the Fertilizer Institute Wednesday reiterated its opposition to the Environmental Protection Agency's proposed rule to tighten national ambient air quality standards for fine particulate matter. The organization also voiced support for legislation to prohibit the EPA altering the standard at this time. TFI President and CEO Corey Rosenbush says, quote, Only two years ago, the EPA confirmed that the current standard is protective of public health and the environment adding they have not provided any reasoning as to what has changed in the past two years, aside from the fact that these emissions continue to decline, end quote. Now, according to the government's own data... Fine particulate matter emissions have declined by over 40% over the past 20 years, and they continue to go down. Additionally, the current rule balances environmental protection with robust commercial and industrial activity. TFI joined more than 70 other industry groups in a letter articulating the economic impact the rule they say would have, as well as the faulty reasoning behind the change. So again... Fertilizer Institute reiterating its opposition to the EPA's proposed rule to tighten national ambient air quality standards for fine particulate matter. All right, that is a look at the latest news headlines in agriculture here today on AOA as we are out of time. Coming up on our next program, we're going to talk markets, recap the November WASDE report with Chris Robinson from Robinson Ag Marketing. We'll also have a conversation with CHS Incorporated President and CEO Jay Deberton. They've released their 2023 fiscal year earnings and other strong fiscal year we're going to talk about that more with jay coming up on our next program and also we'll get an update from capitol hill with jackie fatka from AgriPulse. today's show brought to you by cenex premium diesels like cenex roadmaster xl and cenex ruby fieldmaster everyday products powered locally by cenex thanks for joining us here on aoa agriculture of america i'm jesse allen have a great rest of your day
8: In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to patriotic hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not.
0: Everyone has a community to lean on, a neighborhood, school, kids' teams, where you worship, work, work out, or any other place or group where you choose to belong. Communities can provide support when you need it, and even when you don't know you do. Like when it comes to preventing underage drinking and other substance use. You've talked with your kids and shared clear expectations, but you're not with them every minute. Your community members, friends and relatives, teachers and coaches, faith leaders, and other important adults in your kids' lives can be your eyes, ears, and a supportive influence when you're not around, reinforcing your messages with your kids and alerting you to warning signs of underage drinking or other substance use. So talk with your kids about these issues and involve the members of your community to help keep your kids safe. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit
7: talktheyhearyou.samhsa.gov.